Do you have some cryptocurrency that you would like to secure in a hardware wallet? Well, I've got something for you then. (laughs) I should have written this down ahead of time. Check out the link in the description for Ledger Wallet. That's right. Ledger Wallet is a hardware wallet that will help you secure your digital funds safely and securely offline. Don't let those icky hackers get your stuff. All right, now let's get to the show. It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out a bunch of our other links on Linktree in the description. I recommend Discord. This week's episode, Charlie Redstar. I swear, (laughs) Agent Anderson had to tell me like five times what today's topic was. And the last time I tried to be all sly about it, (laughs) he caught me right out. Yep. I gotcha. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we're doing Charlie Red Star. This is a really interesting case from the 1970s coming at us from Manitoba, Canada. And that's about like in the middle of the country. So if you think about a map of the United States and where Canada is, it's kind of right above like North Dakota, like kind of right there, Mm. you know, about about the Great Lakes area. So it's kind of like right in the middle. Burr. Middle towards the right a little bit. Sounds sounds cold. Yeah, I bet it is. I don't know. I've never been there, but I hear not everywhere in Canada is cold, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm sure a lot of, a lot of parts probably are, but this is one that most, oh yeah, go ahead ETA. Well, I was just going to say just a little anecdote. Every time I hear the name Charlie now, ever since I was younger, I always think of that one old, uh, internet video that went viral like really early uh where that that uh that kid bites his uh other younger brother's uh, finger he goes charlie you bit me (laughs) (laughs) you remember that one (laughs) no i don't think i've seen that one oh uh, maybe somebody does but yeah i'll never forget it it's hilarious isn't there isn't there like one one about uh like a cartoon about charlie the unicorn you know oh yeah charlie the unicorn candy mountain charlie can't oh come on guys i'm trying to sleep in here leave me alone or whatever i forget what it is you know yeah well i was trying to figure out why it was called charlie red star i'm like looking all over the place so i was looking up slang right like french slang uk slang like why why charlie so i'm looking through and i find uh that it old school so old school slang right bunch of charlies refers to like a women's like women's breasts like oh really yeah <laughs> like two rum and coke and she's got her charlies out <laughs> oh, i don't charlies. think that like is it. what's meant here no no <laughs> that's no, no. looks that's like a kruger said he's uh, stuck in traffic oh bummer sucks well maybe he'll make it for after hours or something that's such a strange term you know? I think it's really old though. It's not, it's antiquated. Why Charlie's like, I could see like, 
you know, Charlotte's maybe, <laughs> but why like a male name just seems strange to apply to like a female anatomy. I don't, I don't know. It's very strange. Well, uh-huh. I couldn't figure out where the name came from. Maybe they just liked Charlie. No, I couldn't figure it out either. I mm-hmm. looked and apparently that's just what locals started calling it, but there doesn't appear to be sort of any sort of like evidence as to where that originated. It just sort of seems to have come about in general. Yeah, I couldn't find nothing about that either. Yeah. But yeah, so the the Charlie Red Star case. This is in the 70s, mostly in uh, 1975 and 1976, and it was along the U.S.-Canada border. Uh, the areas of sightings include areas like Ontario, Manitoba, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and North Dakota, but it was most of the sites were in one particular area, at least that we're talking about. It's usually associated with a specific area, and that would be Carmen... Uh, Manitoba, which is somewhat close to Winnipeg, uh, whereas, as you may know of them for their local hockey team, the Jets, which we will absolutely crush this year. I'm talking about the LA Kings, not the San Jose Sharks, because <laughs> I can't watch the Sharks. I live too close, so I'll have to watch the Kings. But anyways, the uh, the sightings were often seen over like nuclear reactors or nuclear bases, and there was a base in the area that had just in 1975 that had just had some nukes installed near that area that, you know, near Carmen somewhere. I don't know exactly where I, I couldn't find the exact spot. It might've been like an air base with missiles. I don't know, but there's supposedly it's nukes top put in. secret. Yeah. It's top secret streets. Yeah. Top. But anyway, some people think that there's a nuclear connection there, but uh, in, in general, these sightings around the time were often seen around nuclear bases. But then again, they were seen a lot of places that were occupied as well, not just nuclear bases. So who knows if that's even means anything. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that surprises me the most about this story is just the, the sheer volume of people that experienced this. And at one point it was also something that like people from, from far and wide would come to see because they kept on hearing about, you know, these UFO sightings and, and, you know, they kept on persisting these sightings. And so people would go there large amounts sometimes to go see it. And, and a lot of them did, you know, some yeah, did, it became some like did, a tourist attraction. Yeah. yeah but yeah, a live cr- action tourist attraction. Live action. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if like, you, you know, you, if you had the opportunity to do it, to do that, you know, wherever, like a, if, if there's somewhere close to where you live, not too far away, at least, but you know, if there was, you know, live action, live UFO action going on all the time and it was consistently going on, I would definitely make my way over there. Cause what an experience, right? I mean, UFO like uh, encounters are not one of those things where you can pick a place and a time to go see one. It just doesn't work like that, right? So for this to have happened is uh, absolutely amazing, you know? Yeah, I read something about a lot of sightings like after in the evening, like after 10 o'clock, after midnight. That's when a lot of people saw sightings, although there were sightings during the day too, like broad daylight. Yeah, there was... Yeah, but to see... Yeah, to ahead, see something like this, it'd be, be- it'd be better at nighttime anyways, right? A, a red glowing orb or, you know, I mean, there's a couple different little descriptions about what people say they saw, what the size and shape and stuff, but yeah, mostly the, the differences me. I saw were the size. Yeah, that surprised me. There were so many different types of saucers described, so many different types of UFOs. Mm-hmm. One of the strange things about this one is that it doesn't really have a Wikipedia entry. No, it's very... No, yeah. Yeah, I, I had trouble finding yeah. stuff about that And case. it's... I'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, but 
it supposedly it was a, a flap, a full-blown flap witnessed by thousands and thousands of people yeah. for over a year, by some reports, so by about two years. And yet, the only thing I saw on Wikipedia, not that Wikipedia is not the best source, but usually a major case will be on Wikipedia. The only thing I found on there is um, a little blurb under Canadian UFO sightings. So it didn't even have its own page, but under Canadian UFO sightings, it said, Several sightings were reported of a red glowing UFO, sometimes described as mischievous or playful, sighted in southern Manitoba in 1975 and 1976. The UFO was named Charlie Red Star by the public. And that's it. That's all I could find on, on Wikipedia yeah. anyways. Yeah, it's weird. When I first started doing the research for this, I, I was I was like, well, there's at first there was not much, you know, and then because I I, uh, I started my my search on on Google and stuff, of course, to to see if I can find any articles and stuff, and I found like some like a book that was uh, written about it, but like uh, then I went on DuckDuckGo and I found I found a lot more after I did that. So it's like it's kind of weird. Like I was like, are, is this like being like covered up somehow in some way at some yeah. point, you know? Because it's just there was a lack of information at first and then I found more, but like, yeah, at first I I was kind of surprised by the lack of information. It was, it was a odd. Yeah. Well, I switched search engines at least for this stuff, because if you search for certain things on Google, it just doesn't come up anymore. Like for example, the above top secret forums, Sometimes it comes up, sometimes it doesn't, you know? So Yeah, yeah. Or, I wonder or if you get hit with some, like, misinformation. Yeah. You know, like, articles that, like, tell you straight up, like, oh, no, this never happened, none of this is real, you know? And Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, like, sometimes blatant lies about it, and for my, in my opinion. Yeah, the Go- Google results for UFO-type stuff is very suspicious. Like, it, yeah, stuff just doesn't come up. But, so, yeah, Charlie Redstar this was such a phenomenon at the time that apparently local businesses even started using it as an advertisement, you know, like Charlie red shot red star shops here. So should you, or, you know, whatever they did <laughs> for advertisements. Um, I wish I could have found some of these, but I wasn't able to find any images online, but that'd be pretty cool. That'd be a fun souvenir. If you could get like an original newspaper ad or something. Yeah. It's a shame. Definitely yeah. before the internet. So yeah, got to rely on word of mouth, newspaper clippings, Video footage, photo, uh, photography. Right, yeah. So the area, there was a lot of reports around this time, like I said. But we're talking about, for generally this case is centered in in Carmen. Uh, and the, the general descriptions were something like a red orb that flew around, always at a low altitude, like below a thousand feet. Sometimes weaving in between or behind buildings. Sometimes stopping right above people it would bounce around like a ping pong ball it would you know start and stop suddenly it would move very quickly sometimes so it might it might hover around going very slowly for like an hour and then all of a sudden it would shoot off you know just in the blink of an eye it would be gone kind of a thing um there was sometimes flashes of light seen along with it and by the way, did you guys, I think I sent the link to Agent Ether, but did you see the news vo- video? They're, they sent a news crew to film it because it was such a phenomenon, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. And you can find this on YouTube. It's like a, just a little one minute clip. Yeah, it's quick. It's real quick. Yeah, yeah. But it, the video, it, it's not super compelling because you can't actually see that much. But it does have the flashes of light. It does have the object moving around and stuff. It's pretty compelling. I mean, it matches what the witnesses describe. We'll post it yeah, on social yeah, media. Absolutely. You can decide for yourself. Yeah, 100%. It, yeah, it just it matches 
So it's an interesting video. I mean, could it be fabricated? I guess, but um, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't back then. Did they they didn't have it wasn't as easy to fabricate this kind of stuff. But if you knew what you were doing, you could use like you know a, a pane of glass to reflect stuff off of, for example. And I don't know, there are ways of doing it. But still, I thought that the video was pretty compelling. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about that experience too is that, like it was pretty well documented. The people that were involved, the, the TV crew, uh, Bill uh, Kendricks, John Barry, and a couple others, like they, it was uh, Alan Kerr, I think was one of the other ones. Um, they they gave their statements and stuff, and and they have that video also along with it, and like you know they they a lot of the evidence supports what they saw, like like you had just uh, said. So I, I I like that's kind of like one of my more favorite uh, instances within this case, you know, because it, it is pretty well documented and and you know they back then at least I feel that like uh, yeah news crews and and people like that were a, a little bit more honest I guess you could say than nowadays I guess you know uh, they they weren't in it for like to sensationalize it they were there just to experience it as what I got from it you know what I mean from from that uh, testimony that they gave and stuff and. Uh, yeah, I think that one was a, that was a pretty cool uh, experience there. Cause you know, it's, there's another, a large group of people that all agree upon the same thing, you know? Yeah. So like when you have just one person, it's, it's not as believable just in general, you know, I, it can be for sure, especially if they, if they have a good evidence for it. But yeah, that this one's, uh, yeah, that one's, that one's a pretty cool one. Yeah. And there, there's, there are some pretty cool stories involving this case. One of them is by a guy named Grant Cameron, who listeners may be familiar with him. He's kind of a big name in the world of UFOs. This is kind mm -hmm. of, he says, sort of how he got into UFOs in the first place. It was his, you know, his introduction. So he his sighting was that he saw he saw a bunch of flashes of light in the distance, and they kept flashing, and they sort of started becoming closer and closer together over time. And then they turned into an object and he saw the object changed from a white sort of strobing light to a red pulsing ball of light. And it was low to the ground and it came right towards him, him and some other people. When it was in, about, when it was in within about half a mile, it turned towards the left, which was the north side of town. And after it turned, they saw like a green glow on the back bottom side and it was hard to tell the exact shape of it, the the object was because of how bright it was. But he said it looked longer than it was tall. So, you know, cigar maybe or flying saucer maybe. And he said that it reminded him of like a glowing heart with a slow pulse heartbeat. And that's something that a lot of other witnesses said is that, you know, I had this irregular like sort of pulsing. So they saw this in the area of Friendship Field which is an airfield run by the local celebrity, Anthony Bretain. Is that the guy you saw in the interview, Agent Ether? I saw him Rob or Robert Bob Demert. Okay, so that's a totally different guy. I don't know. He's yeah, those are the farmers, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the airfield had a good view of the area, and many people had gathered there to see Charlie. This is like where a lot of people got together is near the airfield. It's kind of hang out and tailgate, basically, waiting for him all night. Um, and then at some point, apparently Anthony became like an unofficial host to tourists who came in the area to see Charlie. He would sort of talk to them and show them around and stuff, I guess. Uh, his, I guess his claim to fame was that he restored rare airplanes and even flew one in a movie. 
So I, maybe that's why I couldn't really find a whole lot on him. He's supposedly a big deal in the area, but you know, a search brings up almost nothing about the guy. Um, yeah. So locals in the area, they talked about Charlie as if he was like a friend, which is kind of strange for UFO cases. Usually people are like terrified or they're like, I don't know those lights I've seen over there. They're going to get me, you know, or whatever. Uh, but no, they, they said that, um, he was just sort of a, oh, that, that darn Charlie's at it again kind of a thing. <laughs> and some people joked that he oh, he lived in the West in the hills, and he just flies over to Carmen at night to pick up some beer, and then he returns home later on because he had like a, a flight path that seemed to be similar most of the time. Like You could like go ahead of time where he was supposed to be, and he would use the same flight path over and over again. Um, and yeah, it's sort of sort of unique amongst UFO cases in a couple of ways because of that, you know, that people didn't really generally seem to be that afraid of them or it. They, they sort of did this personification where they gave him human kind of traits. Uh, and he had a predictable flight path so they could go and set up shop and just sort of wait for him. And he would show up most of the time. And there mm -hmm. are some descriptions that said in like 1975, especially he was there almost every night. And there are people who saw him, you know, that's like what you do on the weekends or whatever. If you go hang out with your friends, yeah, you just go hang out with Charlie. Let's go watch Charlie. Yeah. yeah. And there are people who mm -hmm. had dozens and dozens of sightings, apparently. So this was, you know, I'm surprised this one isn't a little more well known considering the vast number mm -hmm. of people that saw it. But Well, in a lot of ways, it's not your typical UFO flap either, your typical UFO sighting. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to the description that the people are giving... I feel like it's it's atypical. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also like the the playful nature of some of the encounters that were described as well like like the the red ball some of them were were smaller and bigger like we had mentioned before but it seemed like sometimes like the uh Charlie would like dart towards somebody or just like fly right over their head or then like but other times it seemed like he was playing like hide and go seek or something, you know what I mean? Like or or tag or something like that, you know? It's like People described uh, having this feeling of like a almost like a childish nature to to the experiences, except right. for the guy who said it flew overhead and it felt like plastic had melted on his face. On oh, what? Yeah, I, yeah. Speak up, Agent Ether. I can't hear you. <laughs> I said except for the guy who said as it flew overhead, it felt like melted plastic had poured onto his face. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that does not sound sounds, like fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty horrible, actually. Yeah, like, yeah. I can only imagine. One thing that struck me is that a lot of the witnesses emphasized how red it look, looked, the, the craft. You know, a lot of UFO sightings, they'll say, oh, you know, it's metallic or silver or whatever. But these people said it was like very red, like a stoplight or a stop sign or something, like a deep red. And there's, um, it's, I haven't seen a whole lot of reports where the actual craft is like that kind of a color. It might have red lights on it, but... Uh, yeah. And so, so there's, uh, the two basic reports or three basic reports in general were, uh, some sort of saucer shaped object, some sort of orb that the saucer shaped object was generally described as being fairly large or an orb, which is, you know, described as sometimes as being just like 15 inches in diameter or something. So fairly small. And then some people did report the saucer shape object with orbs darting around it. So it kind of makes you wonder if the orbs were some kind of like probe kind of going around, you yeah, know, looking a around. Probe and, or like a, yeah. a drone or something. Yeah, exactly. 
And then the orbs would have like this, they would like bounce around and jump around. And, you know, sometimes they'd be in the distance. Sometimes they'd come right up to people. And because they, the way these things moved around, people perceived that as being um, playful. And there was, there was interestingly, a lot of witnesses said they saw the thing land in a field somewhere or just stop and sort of go down to the ground and land. So that's sort of unusual. That's not super common in UFO sightings to see the, the craft come down and stop in a field or something. But all right, so do we want to go over, let's go over to some specific sightings of the case. Uh, does I'll turn it over. What do you want to talk about? You want to start, Agent Ether? You got some specifics here? Yeah, sure. I got some stuffs. So my research started, it began with a newspaper clipping that I found, and it's from Carmen, and uh, it's from one Mr. Bob Demert, and he owned the airport that you were talking about. And he said it was obviously a craft of some kind. He'd seen a lot of craft before because he's in the business, but he'd never seen anything like this. So he and his wife, Elaine, were out in a field at about nine o'clock and they watched it slowly go by for several minutes. And his wife's like, is that a helicopter? But it didn't make any sound. So it was moving slowly and it was too bright. And it didn't have like white or green lights like a normal aircraft. He said the lights weren't blinding, but they pulsated. It was like a bright red light in the middle with two neon lights going out from it. What caught our attention was that it was flying so low. We thought at first that it was a helicopter, but they moved pretty good. But this craft was going no more than 50 or 60 miles per hour. and Which is very slow is, for a, a flying object. So he said it was difficult to gauge the distance, partly because it was in the evening, but he said he thought it passed within half a mile of them. It came up out of the trees to the west to a height of about 300 feet. It followed the highway, and then it disappeared behind a clump of trees. And he said this whole experience made him a believer. A neighbor also was reported to have seen the craft, and the incident was reported. So I actually found online that, uh, let's see, a report from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and it was filed April 10th, 1975. And it basically is what I talked about in the newspaper clipping. It's just a short summary. And it's, you know, it's kind of official, and it's... <clears throat> official and it's a police report let's see uh and it gives a group number and a volume number and a real number i'll post that on social media in case anyone's interested but so there's real concrete evidence even though we didn't have the internet back then that this was in fact a claim and it was reported to the media and to the canadian uh Royal Mounted Police. (laughs) I'm like, who? Who was it reported to? The Mounties. The Mounties. It was reported to the to the Mounties. So I actually watched an interview with this person, and I think the interview is a little old now. And he was definitely a little older in the interview than he was in '75. I think the interview is like from the '90s, and it was really poor quality. It was filmed at his airport, and there's people in cars going by. 
And he's talking and then his voice is fading and it's windy. And I have my volume like way turned up. And Agent Anderson's like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, I'm trying to listen to this interview. It's good stuff because it's an eyewitness interview. So here's what I got from that interview. So he was not only the owner of the airport, but he was also an aviator. He had a really rare aircraft. It's a K-99, which is one of the airplanes that the Japanese converted to suicide planes. And they used in the war oh. and in Pearl Harbor. And he actually uh, has one that he flies, which is unusual because they were all decommissioned and destroyed. So yeah. That was kind of interesting. And when I talked about their initial sighting, him and his wife, and so after that happened... They went ahead and they called out the media, and I guess it was CKY-TV, and they brought TV crews out and photographers, and between May 11th and 14th, they were pretty much stationed there looking with him for UFOs. So nothing interesting happened on the 11th, but at the 12th, they observed what they called a later light at the end of the road. I haven't heard this term before. Have you heard this term before? A later light? Later light. Light at the end of the road. Uh-uh. I have yeah, not I heard, heard that. either. <laughs> Must be a Canadian thing. So they saw something on the 11th, on the 12th, and then on the 13th, it looks like, and then nothing on the <clears throat> 14th. So on the first time the news crew saw any light, they were in their cars and they're chasing after it. And they had a photographer with them. They get out of their cars and they set up in the road. And Bob has his binoculars and he sees it moving very fast at a very fast rate. And he says at first he can't even see the saucer itself. He just sees like that the stars are being blocked out by some shape. And then there's two white lights. And he said they were like welding lights on each side. They were very, very bright. And his friend, I guess, Sam, he hands the binoculars to him and he's looking at it <clears throat> as well. And he notices, he said, there's like a halo, almost like the air is being ionized or like St. Elmo's fire. And then they're all looking and the light just disappears and it accelerates away at tremendous speed. And uh, as Bob's being interviewed, he's saying, well, it's going past that star. It's going past that star, like trying to tell his friends how fast it's going because the other people can't see it. And he says the further it went, the brighter it got, and then it just, it just disappeared. And after this experience, he said his friend Sam had a come-to-Jesus experience. So I guess he wasn't really oh. religious, but after that, he was a believer. Hmm. It's not a believer in UFOs, just it was a religious experience for him, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, maybe he had just seen something so out of the norm, so startling for him that uh, that's the way he reacted to it, I guess. Right? Yeah. And that wasn't Sam's only experience. I guess him and his wife went to buy a new car a couple days later and they saw the same thing, but in broad daylight. So like we mentioned before, a lot of people had multiple experiences. And then Bob describes a big one, and that's when he was with some cameramen, and they were, and they caught something on the ground. So there were 14 of them total, and they were driving, and then all of a sudden, you know, they said, did you see that? And so there's 13 of them plus the cameramen, and they're shooting film, I guess, 
and nobody saw anything, but they developed the film, and there's this streak of light from the top to the bottom, like a single frame, which is, I guess he said, a 124th of a second. So he said it was going really, really fast. And while nobody actually saw the aircraft, uh, everything lit up. Like the whole area was blindingly white. And after that, they had a half moon thing go up and down. Like it was this bright orange light in the distance. So the crew went following it. And I think they split up at some point because the crew was going like to the north and then the producer and his wife and him are going the other way in their station wagon. And he said the roads were very wet and it was slow going and everybody met up in their cars in a field. And the flying saucer was standing in the field. He said it was 100 feet big. And the unusual thing about it was that it was on its side. It was standing up on its edge. It was bright orange and... The height beneath it was about, he said, the height of a man. So it's hovering up and down in the field. There's barely any space between it and the ground. And when they're about a mile away, it jumped up 500 feet, jumps back down, and took off. And he said they triangulated it somehow, and they thought it was going at about 33,000 miles per hour. Wow. I don't know how they triangulated it. That's what he (laughs) said, though. He said they had the... Ability. That's pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. Um, now he said that it was when it was moving, it was pulsating almost like a, a heartbeat, and that it didn't fly in a straight line. It always flew like curved or parabolic. And he thought that each blip represented like a, a lift to the aircraft. So it was he thought it was kind of moving in this bobbing motion, and every time it blipped. It represented it changing direction or altitude. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I would just like to take this time to tell our listeners that I discovered earlier today that Canadians have a special name for a beer belly. Anybody get care to wager what that is? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> they call it the Molson Muscle. <laughs> Why? Huh. Molson's a type of Canadian beer. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> kind of hilarious. Well, let's pause here for a break. I would like to remind everybody listening that we just started our brand new um, store over at Tee Public. So right now we just have one design, which is the show's logo. But when I can rope him into it, I'm going to get Agent Redacted to draw some other stuff. So we'll have a couple of different logos. We had somebody requested a um a keep it strange shirt which that should be fairly easy to make up depending on how we do it Maybe that is my slogan oh yeah what are you talking about <laughs> i helped you come up with that <laughs> no i didn't she <laughs> no. came up with it all by herself <laughs> no but yeah so we just have a little bit of things right now but you can get more than just t-shirts they have hoodies you can get stickers or i ordered a fridge magnet it's not here yet but it's on the way and funnily enough, uh, is that even a word? Funnily? I, the only reason I started this store was because I just kind of wanted a t-shirt for myself. <laughs> so I just started a tea public store just so I could upload my stuff and get a shirt. But it turns out some other people want it too. We've already had a couple of sales and we haven't even really announced it yet. So thanks everybody. It does. We don't get a ton from it, but it does help support the show. And, um, I'm glad you guys all are enjoying the logos out there. I'm going to get a mug. You can get a mug too. Yeah, well, if you're going to get the mug, I would recommend that the Tee Public mugs, I've gotten them there before. They're all right, but um, Shutterfly's better. Shh. 
But no, no, don't use don't use Shutterfly. We don't get any money from them. <laughs> no, no, but totally get Shutterfly has better mugs, anyways. But, I think they have keychains and stuff too, though on Teapot. Like it's not just a yeah. T-shirt. Yeah, they have a bunch of different stuff, but they um they also uh, Shutterfly is also more expensive. Their mugs are a bit pricier, so it just yeah, you get what you pay for. It's one of those. Now things. you have stickers. Where'd you get the stickers from? Teapot. So can our audience also get stickers? Yeah, they can order stickers if they order want. Order yeah. stickers and stick them everywhere. Right, yeah. So, all right. That was my little blurb <laughs> about Tea Public. So now it's time to get back to the show. Back to the show. All right, where was I? So I am with one Bob Demert, and he was talking in his interview about his experiences with Charlie. Uh, let's see where I was in my notes. All right, so he said the camera crews would come out again, and they went and they were looking for him. So they ended up at his father's or his father-in-law's. It wasn't clear. And they gave him directions up to the farm where he was. So he owned the airport, but he also stayed, uh, I guess he had a farm as well. And he said it was really windy and difficult to get to. So his dad must have given really good directions because they end up there. They get to the yard, and they decide to drive around and look for look for Charlie. And they're driving around about 15 minutes, and there's a huge fog bank, and all of a sudden, a saucer comes out of the fog bank. So in my head, I'm like picturing something like from a movie, you know, there's like the fog and eerie music, and then all of a sudden, slowly from the fog, there emerges this flying saucer. And I think that's what, I think that's what happened. And they said it was 80 to 100 feet, and it bleeped, not that it made noises, I think, but the lights were blinking. And it got within a mile of them, and there were nine total of them watching, nine total of the crew and him and his family and neighbors. It wasn't clear. I know there were five in the station wagon, and then I think there were some other people at the farm. And so the flying saucer turned. It was going over the hill, and they followed in their cars, and they said they were only going at about 40 miles per hour, and then another flying saucer also came out. So Bob tells the reporters, he says, you follow one, I'll follow the other. But he turns around and the reporters are following him. And he thinks they had instructions from their higher ups to make sure they stayed with the people who were had sightings, not to go chasing after the UFOs themselves. This is just what, this is just what he thought. thought. Uh, and I guess he knew the photographer, Andy. They'd been working closely together on this, you know, on this whole experience. And four to five days later, he got a letter in the mail from Andy. And it said that this was the best night he'd ever had without the use of marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I remember that quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Now, Bob seemed to think that uh, the reason that the Charlie's would disappear is because of the signing of the SALT II agreement. You know, there was that whole issue with uh, the the UFOs coming and rearranging the programming on uh, guidance system missiles. I actually don't know much about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. We haven't done those yet, but there's a bunch of cases with uh, UFOs interfering at nuclear bases. There's ones where they were able to disable nuclear weapons, according to witnesses, and uh, like they temporarily disabled the missile silos and stuff like that. And it's like, that's really scary because, you know, if that was like a Soviet capability or something, 
they could nuke us and we wouldn't be able to retaliate. That's, you know, yeah, it's weird. Well, there was a story that I heard recently about, and I don't know if it's true or not. I kind of uh, lean towards it not being true, to be honest. But uh, there was a story about um, Putin actually trying to arm and uh, deliver a nuclear warhead to the, uh, Ukraine. And uh, the story goes that, like, basically it was deactivated by aliens or it was deactivated. <laughs> wow, I haven't heard this. But, like. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure if I. Yeah, like I said, I don't give it too much credit. To be quite honest, it was just like a story I heard online, just kind of while I was like, you know, randomly just like looking at different articles, and I was bored, so I seen it, and I was like, okay, that's that sounds interesting, but there's no evidence though. I mean, so whatever. There's there's I mean, people, all kinds of weird stories coming out of Russia. Ah, uh, there's like Putin has cancer and he's dying. Putin has a love child with his mistress, you know, just all this stuff. And you're like, what? Like tabloid material. Yeah. But in major mm -hmm. news media outlets. It's just a sensational story that, yeah. that I think, you know, some news outlet was trying to get some attention from really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Uh, Bob seemed to think that because of the SALT II agreements that Charlie stopped visiting specifically because they'd stopped a war, stopped a nuclear crisis. Hmm. Interesting theory. Yeah, interesting theory indeed. So there were a lot of visitors to to his airfield, to his farm, and one of them, uh, a very important witness, was a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Constable, a Mountie, by the name of Ian Nicholson. So he came out on May 9th, 1975. It was about 12.15 a.m., and he went ahead and gave a statement he said there was an oval red light surrounded by an X-shaped halo. It appeared stationary, so he decided to get a closer look at it. He drove west, and it was moving pretty fast, so he started towards the west following it, and the object seemed to start flying in a northeasterly direction, so then he followed it that way. He continued for about 12 miles, keeping the object in sight, trying to get abreast of it, so... If it presented itself, he could see it and drive north towards it. He says that about 16 miles west of Carmen, he stopped the car because there was no way he was going to be able to catch up with it. So he had to stop his car, and it went uh, up out of sight over the trees. And this is considered a really important witness account because it's from such a reliable source. Right. So... That's all I have about Mr. Uh, Robert Dement, Demart, Demert. I don't know one of those. Yeah, I think it's Demert because it says so in my newspaper clipping. D i e m e r t. What do you think? Sounds yeah, sounds close enough. <laughs> so, did you find the actual newspaper, like an image of the newspaper? I did. See. Oh, okay. Image of Perfect. the clipping, yeah. And when was that published? It doesn't say. It's just a clipping. Okay. Well, at least that is a clipping because it was hard to find stuff on this case, to be honest. Like, actual yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah, I was I was kind of excited because I found an actual newspaper clipping. And then I also found the Mountie. I found the Mountie report. <laughs> oh, you found the actual report. Okay, Yeah, cool. I found the report that was, that was filed. Nice. Yeah, and it even, yeah, that's what I was saying. It even has the... Uh, the, uh, it says National Research Council of Canada Record Group 77, Volume 308. And then it says real number 1742 in 09. That might be like a microfish reel or something. That's what it sounds like yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah, we have the clipping, we have the report, and then we have the witness statement from the constable. Yeah. And I thought that was all very compelling. Yeah, that's that's pretty important because I guess I'll talk a little bit about it, about it now. Some people who are a little skeptical about this case, they'll say that well, if so many people saw it, why is it that pretty much the only information source is Grant Cameron's book? Because most of what you find online references Grant Cameron's book. And there's very little you can find other than that. So to have something that's not in that book is actually really helpful because it helps us to establish that some of this stuff did happen. Because some people say, oh, well, Grant Cameron just made it up. Produce these witnesses. Produce an actual statement. Produce a police report. It, you can't. It's all just in the book. And he could have made everything in that book up, you know. But we have some actual hard evidence here. At least, I mean, so a newspaper cliffing is not proof, but it does suggest that it wasn't all just made up by Grant Cameron, you know, so it does substantiate the stories a little bit, even if it, it maybe it didn't happen for a full two years and maybe it wasn't as widespread as claimed in the book. You might be able to say that, but we do have some evidence outside of the book, some witness statements and whatnot that don't come directly from Grant Cameron that help substantiate the case. Because just think about like any case that had even a fraction of these witnesses usually becomes like international news. But this case yeah. is almost unheard of. Like it's nobody ever talks about it. And maybe it's hard they to talk find. about it in Canada. Yeah, maybe it's a can yeah, maybe it's a Canada thing. I don't and did know. Did you check on the Canadian Wikipedia? <laughs> is there a difference? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so are those the stories you had for us, Agent Ether? Yeah, I just wanted to mention there is a song, because I always like to look for things that other agents aren't going to be talking about, kind of on the outskirts mm -hmm. of the interests of the topic. So I did find a song by Human Music that is called uh, Charlie Red Star. Charlie Red Star? Yeah, and I wanted to ask them for the you know permission to like play it or post a link. And there's like no contact information or email at all. So if you're the group Human Music or you know how to get a hold of them, we would love to play your song. Yeah, just put it on the end of the podcast That's or something. That's right. That would be awesome. That stuff could get kind of complicated too, though, because they may not own the rights to that song entirely. They may be involved with like a record label. So it, it there might be multiple entities who you have to go through just to get it onto they something. They struck me as being a, like a garage band. Yeah, especially because their YouTube video had like, what, like seven views or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not that. But and it wasn't real, like a real video. It was just like the album cover with the song or something, right? That's correct. Yeah. But it was, it was a song. They have and a it, channel. And it was about Charlie Red Star. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> Landing in the field and red lights. Yeah. And it was actually not a lot of lyrics. And it was somewhat of a short song. But it yeah. was definitely inspired by events. Yeah, maybe we'll put a link to it or something somewhere. Yeah. My, um, my favorite UFO sort of themed song in the realm of music, I guess, would be there's a Canadian punk band that I actually saw play at a bar in the 90s or something called Gob. And they have a song called Tested. It's just like this really short uh, punk song. It's, it's a really fun song. Really fun. I, I only got, I have like one of their albums, but it's just, it's a really good album. And it was back before they were doing like really super refined stuff in a studio. It's just sort of like eight track type stuff. But the music is pretty interesting. I've heard some of their newer stuff. And it just didn't have the same like raw kind of feel that I appreciated. But anyways, if you guys want 
you know, another musical recommendation that doesn't have anything to do with Charlie Red Star, look up the Canadian band Gob, just G-O-B. Oh, I thought I was all excited. You want to know what my favorite one is? What's that? Credence Clearwater Revival. It came out of the sky. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. Yeah. I was going to say, that's not one. Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no. sure that's well, no, not no. Canadian. No, it's not. No, it's not Canadian, <laughs> but you, it's a UFO song, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there. There are a fair number. That's true. Yeah. But all right. Before we move on, let's see if, if an agent, um, before we move to see what ETA has any witness statements for us. I would just like to remind the listeners, let me hit the edit button here for all of our Patreon people who get the show ad-free. Go Patreon. All right. I would like to remind the listeners that you don't have to deal with work or school networks, and you don't have to worry about bad guys stealing your data from unsecured private networks. You, too, can subscribe to a VPN service to help you with these problems. That's right. Check out ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com forward slash ACP. Expressvpn.com forward slash ACP for your chance to get some VPN goodness. All right. Now back to the show. Nice, nice plug. <laughs> Agent Ether's laughing at me over there. <laughs> I just sort of like, I didn't write any of this down. I was just, we've been so busy that just like our furnace is dying. We have to get ducting and like, we're just busy. Yeah. A raccoon got under our house. It's yeah. So mad. There's big holes in our air ducts like everywhere. Uh, so we've been having to get like quotes out and do that kind of stuff and doing, taking the dogs to, to had to take them to the groomers today, which I know sounds stupid, but it does take time. And then like last week we had to, the computer broke. I had to fix our computer and just all kinds. It's just one thing after another, man. I just never seen, never seemed to have enough time. So I didn't get to write down any of the ads. So I'm just completely winging it, <laughs> but I did want to start doing more ads. So that's, you know, there you go. I'm doing them. And if you don't want to hear them, then uh, check then us out on Patreon, Patreon which I will also plug at the end of the show too. Just, you know, Speaking of Patreon, actually, our people on Patreon did select this episode. I gave them two choices. I, they, they got to choose the Yule Cat from Iceland, which <laughs> I kind of wanted to do that one. I thought it would, I was kind of excited about that one. And uh, and Charlie Red Star. 100% of the votes went for Charlie Red Star. <laughs> so, so we're doing Charlie Red Star, <laughs> which also a good case. Also a good case, but... <laughs> But not a cryptid. <laughs> not a cryptid, yeah. Sometimes it's fun to do those things, you know, that Yule Cat from Iceland is probably going to be less of a cryptid, more of like a mythology kind of a thing, you know. But I thought it would still be a really fun one to do. Somebody on uh, somebody on um, Discord suggested that topic. We don't normally do cryptids all that often on this show, so that's why it was even on our list to begin with. But yes, I do actually have a real list of topics to do. I've, I've seen it. Sometimes yeah. we bump them, though, based on uh, yeah. audience requests. So. Definitely, yeah. Actually, I have I have different lists on different computers and stuff. So like on my little Chromebook, I'll have like bookmarks and stuff. And so it just depends on where. On my phone, I keep a list on a notepad of topics I come across that seem really interesting that would make good shows. So that's... That's what that's from. The shows yeah. will never end. Don't you worry. So if you request something on Discord, I put it no matter what it is, I put it on a little notepad and I have to look into it. Sometimes it's stuff that doesn't really, it's not really good. At, like it's not enough material for a full episode. So I might like skip it and, or maybe do a smaller thing on it or something. I don't know. We but. should do that. We should do little smaller episodes. That would be so much fun. That would be fun. Yeah. And like there's on those a, topics. a lot of topics we could do shorter episodes on. Like, for example, Blue Book. We could just do like little 10-minute 10 10 minute 
10 minute on that. 10 minute Those yeah. are really fun. I like the blue book ones. Yeah, they're awesome. I was actually getting some ready. I wanted to do for uh, like a little Patreon thing. I wanted to do a couple of those for bonus content. Because it's, I, man, those are just really good files. But anyway, sorry. Let's get back to Agent ETA. Did you have any anecdotes of Charlie Redstar you'd like to share with us, ETA? Well, I, I, I do. I did. Uh, it seems like we took some pretty similar notes here. <laughs> so it's a lot of the stuff that I took notes on, we've already talked about. So I don't want to obviously be a dead horse, you know, and, and keep on going over the same stuff. But I will read some quotes, I, I suppose, from uh, some of the people that uh, had, had experiences and uh, the first one was is from Howard Bennett, and uh, he was a, a newspaper editor that had gone down there uh, along with a, a news crew, and um, they had showed up there on uh, the eleventh. We kind of I think this is one of the, the the news crews that we had already talked about, but I don't uh, think we've read this uh, quote yet though. But um, they showed up on May eleventh, and then they didn't have any experiences actually until the thirteenth. And so I'll read you a direct quote from him. Um, all right, so. I could see this big glow behind some trees less than half a mile away, off to the right and ahead of us. It was smoky red, a hazy glow. And to me, the thing was higher than the trees, maybe 50 feet tall. It was about 20 feet thick and was sitting at an angle of about 45 degrees. The edges were fuzzy and not sharply defined. It was much like seeing a drive-in movie screen from the side. So like that, that's one of his direct quotes. And, um, like, uh, I, I, I love like reading these quotes from some of these people because like some of it's detailed, some of it isn't, but like, it's, uh, it's still like, you know, more than you see in some cases, you know, I and mean, well, you, you see a lot more in other cases too, like especially when we're talking about like abductions and stuff like that. Some of the uh, descriptions of uh, their people's experiences are very detailed. But um, yeah, like like I said, like uh, <laughs> we've already kind of gone over the majority of the stuff that I, uh, well, pretty much all the stuff that I, I took notes on. So I, I hope it's not too much of a nothing burger as far as me being on this episode. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> Did you? But um, did you guys hear about the one where there's a girl sleeping in front of her window? Did, we didn't. You guys didn't talk about this yeah, one, did you? I heard. I heard about that one, but the, like the reason why I didn't really like uh, care to talk about it too much is I couldn't find any names or anything like that. It was like just a a story, but I couldn't find the name of anybody, like the, who this girl was or where she was exactly. I think we should still talk about it though. Yeah, sure. Okay. The the girl's name was uh, according to the book. Uh, by Grant Cameron anyways the girl's name was Darlene and do you have notes on this one ETA or do you want me to do it no you go ahead and do it all right so she was sleeping on the first floor of a two-story house not sure how that's all that relevant but her bed was right in front of the window and it said she was like sleeping in the family room or something like I don't know was she was her bedroom in the living room I didn't really understand that part of it I don't know our kids sleep all over the house so I think that's a reasonable statement. Yeah. We'll wake e- up way. and we'll have kids on the couch and yeah. kids <laughs> like, on the floor in front of the fireplace. I don't kids know. Kids everywhere. Kids everywhere. So either way, her, her she was sleeping right in front of the window and she was awake and actually the whole household was awoken by a very shrill sound. And she also saw a red light shining through the window and the whole house was shaking, kind of like an earthquake. She felt a lot of heat. And because the red light was shining into the room and everything looked so red, she thought that the house was on fire. 
she heard a loud noise that this, the noise that woke her up and she described it as like a shrill and pulsating siren, like a shrill and pulsating siren. And her mother said that the noise was hard to describe because she had never heard anything like it before. So that's kind of, I, I would like to hear a noise that nobody's ever heard before. I know? would not. It's sure. Well, yeah, that's, I, this noise doesn't sound that comfortable to listen to, but yeah, you know, it's, it's an experience though. Uh, th- yeah. So they all woke up and Darlene called for her mother because she saw a huge red object land in the window or land in a pasture in front, like outside of the house in front of her window. As the family rushed into the room, the mom, I guess, got there first, and she also saw the object through the window. And she said it looked like it was tangled up in the evergreen trees. And it doesn't say exactly how it left, but I imagine that it left as people entered the room, because only Darlene and the mom saw it. The other people apparently didn't see it. So I'm guessing as they were coming into the room, it darted away, as a lot of people said it did. You know, like it sort of bounced around. And sometimes it would move slowly, but sometimes it would just be gone, you know? So that's what how I imagine uh, it left. Another witness, like, I won't, won't say the whole statement, but one witness said that he saw it had a white X-shaped halo above it, but was not connected to the craft. Like, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know. That's I don't know odd. what to make of yeah. that. Yeah. And then let's see here. I think... Ether talked about a lot of this stuff. Woohoo. So I won't go over this stuff other than, I mean, there was, yeah, we, we went over some general stuff and this stuff. So what I did do though was because I was, I was concerned that we weren't finding, at least I wasn't finding a whole lot outside of Grant Cameron's book. And usually for a UFO case, any UFO case, even a very minor one that most people are not familiar with. You can find a ton of stuff online if you know where to look. But for this case, I could find almost nothing. And I was sort of feeling skeptical about it because of that. Because if there were really this many people around seeing it on a nightly basis for a year or two years even, you could say that, you know, oh, people didn't have cameras that much back then. But no, people did have cameras back then. They didn't necessarily have cameras in their pockets like we do nowadays. But if people were seeing this thing on a nightly basis and it was even predictable, I would expect to see a whole lot of more photographic evidence, like a butt ton of photographic evidence. There's some, there's some pictures and there's that one video from that news crew. So I can't dismiss it entirely because there is some compelling evidence, but there's not as much compelling evidence as you would expect for the amount of sightings that were reported, at least by Grant Cameron. So you know, like I was sort of talking about earlier, that leads me to believe that maybe this stuff is slightly sensationalized in Grant Cameron's book. Maybe his book is not totally 100% on the up and up, you know, but there, there does seem to be some truth here, but maybe it was a much shorter event than what he says. Maybe it was not a two year event or a one year event. Maybe it was like a two week event or something, you know, because Mm -hmm. I, dude, I'm, if, if there was like a year long event where it was on there almost every night, there should be a lot more evidence for this thing, but it, it's hard to find anything. You could find almost nothing online, but I did look at some places you can go for UFO reports. For example, one place you can look at for UFO reports, people will submit them just everyday people. Anybody can go submit a report here. 
So just because they have a report doesn't necessarily mean it's a hard fact. On the other hand, if you see a report that was submitted before Grant Cameron's book was published, that's a little interesting if it matches the Charlie Red Star description. Because if he was making everything up, then you wouldn't see reports that were submitted before his book. Now, if you look through a lot of UFO reports like I do, you'll see an awful lot of reports that were not submitted at the time of the sighting. People will do it many years later because they almost universally will all say, I never talked about this because I was afraid of being ridiculed. You know, they'll word Uh it differently, but that's an incredibly common thing to see in these sightings. You know, so you'll see a report like I'm looking at one that I'm about to read that was submitted in 2004 for something that they saw in 1975. That is not unusual at all. It doesn't prove that they are being honest here. I'm not saying that, but it doesn't necessarily indicate a hoax either. It's very common to see people wait many, many years to report something. So let me check the book real quick, just to double check when it was published. I believe it was 2017, but I want to get, I want to make sure I get that correct. Let me see. It says here. Yeah. It says it was published September 5th, 2017. So that's important. If we have a sighting that was submitted on 2004 and this is this particular website is new fork n u f o r c and this is one of many places you can go online to find ufo sightings so this sighting was reported uh, supposedly occurred on december 16th 1975 but the date is approximate they're not 100 percent sure about the date this particular ufo report is from Cranberry Portage, Canada, or in Manitoba, and it was uh, reported to be on the sixteenth of December, nineteen seventy-five. That's an approximate date. We don't know that that was the date for sure. And it was a the shape was a disc. The duration was one hour. And Cranberry um, Cranberry Portage, if you look on a map, is to the it's to the north, like way far north of Winnipeg. So it's really far north of where the most of the sightings are for this and it's in a very remote area at least it looks remote to me but anyways here's here is the report me and two of my friends were snowmobiling on lake uh, atapapuskow wow (laughs) i found that on the map too it's right next to there it's this (laughs) huge lake anyways they were snowboarding on the lake that's next to the town (laughs) and and then we stopped for a cigarette when we saw a light coming towards us. We thought it was an airplane, that it was going to land. It came right above us. It was about 150 feet in the air, and it stopped right on top of us. There was not a sound from it or movement. At the time, we were approximately 15 to 16 years old. <gasps> Smoking at 15 years old. My God. That's naughty. I remember that, unless that's a thing in Canada. Maybe they do that in Canada. I don't know. Anyway, 16 years old. I remember... That we were yelling at it to come and get us, but nothing happened. At least not that I know of. It was circle-shaped like a saucer with a light on it, red and yellow. Wait, wait, wait. They were heckling the UFO? Yeah. Dude, they're, <laughs> they're stupid teenagers, you know? <laughs> and by the way, the, the way this is written, I strongly suspect that this is like a French-Canadian. And I, I super want to read this in my favorite uh, GSP voice. But I will spare everybody. But if if you could just imagine GSP <laughs> reading this, do me that favor at least. So uh, let's see where was I? Um, oh yeah, we were yelling at it 
to come and get us, but nothing happened. At least, see, hap- he, he wrote that. I'm, I'm not making that up. He says, but nothing happened. That's how he wrote it, right? Um, at least not that I, that I know of. It was circle shape like a saucer with a light on it, red and yellow. And it also had windows. We could see light from the inside. And then it started to take off slowly with still no sound. And then we went to one of my friend's house, which was near, and we phoned the police, RCMP, which told us that there were people that called in already not to worry about it. The older, um, the older brother told us we were lying, and then he came to the lake with us. By then, they were a little ways from us, but he did see it, and then the thing just vanished in front of our eyes like it was never there. Now I am 44 years old. I had a severe heart attack two and a half years ago. I actually die and was revived, and guess what I saw when I came to? Everything was blurry, and I could see was shadow, and I thought I was in a flying saucer, and those people were experimenting on me. They keeping me from sitting up, and all I could think was, if I do not get up, I will die. So I ended up fighting with the nurse and the doctor for my life because I really thought I was in a flying saucer. <laughs> the, the names that of the sucks. people <laughs> that day uh, on the lake is myself, and then they redact the witness names. There's four witnesses total, but they redact it on the online report because they, you know, they don't want these people to be harassed or whatever. So that has. Um, I don't know if if we talked about all of these. There's a ton of Red Star sightings that are associated with that specifically, but um, there are some similarities here, specifically like how he's talking about the windows on the saucer and how there was light coming from the windows. And then, you know, a lot of the witnesses, some of the witnesses for Charlie Red Star said that it didn't make any sound at all. Some of them said that it was silent. So that's a similarity. So it's not necessarily like a slam dunk, but it is pretty similar to sightings that were going on in the area at the time. Um, even if it, you know, it's not an exact match. I thought it was close enough to worth mentioning. Yes, Agent Ether? Nothing. I'm just trying to figure out if the dogs need their medicine. Oh, okay. She was looking around weird and I was like, what, what, what is, what's happening? What's happening? Let's what's see. happening? Yeah, what is happening? I saw UFO. <laughs> Oh, sorry, guys. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for this previous really bad French-Canadian accent. <laughs> All right. And then I actually have a whole bunch of these that I, I was like, I don't know how long this episode's going to go. So I went through on New Fork and got a bunch of them. I didn't even get all of them. I was very restrictive on how I selected these. So I could have gotten quite a lot more of these, but um, I was I just got like very specific areas and very specific descriptions. So there's a ton of reports in the general area. We're talking about, let's say the Northern United States or Canada, a ton of reports on New Fork that could be associated with this. But anyways, here's one. I'll just one more. I'll mention before we wrap up here. This one is from Wisconsin, a disc like object. This one, they only saw from 30 for 30 seconds. And this one, he says, a friend and I were walking north through a field between Afton Road and on the Kruger Golf Course to meet a third friend. The sky was clear with no clouds and visibility was very good. We were walking parallel to and approximately 30 yards from the road with the houses along the road blocking our view at first until we reached a point where the distance between houses was approximately 50 yards. We were then able to see across the Rock River in a southeasterly direction at an estimated distance of half a mile. 
two disc-shaped craft that were identical in appearance, in excess of 30 feet in diameter, with vertical rectangular reddish-orange or amber lights rotating counterclockwise at an altitude of at least 300 feet, and silently moving south-southeast at a speed of at least 50 miles an hour. The lead craft was slightly lower in altitude by about 20 feet. The distance between them horizontally was less than 50 feet. They flew directly over the Fairbanks Morse engine div foundry on Highway 51, at which point we lost visual contact. Our dialogue consisted of, oh man, wow, you see what I see? Yeah, but what do we do now? No one would believe us, but you know what? I don't care because we got to see it and that's all that matters. Now my eyes have been searching the night sky ever since I was 17. I'm 42 and I'll always stare into the infinity wondering, will I ever see anything like that again? My friend and I remain close after all these years and have talked of returning to that same spot with camcorders in hand, just in case. Oh, and this one was reported in 2001 and for something that happened November 9th, 1975, probably an approximate date. Um, but it doesn't say that here, but it, it might be an approximate date. But anyways, again, it's not necessarily a slam dunk, but there are certain similarities to the Charlie Red Star sightings. For example, witnesses who saw Charlie Red Star up close, they reported a disc-shaped craft with rectangular windows, and they said that, you know, a lot of them would say like it had a dome on top, and they would say that it was about 30 feet in diameter, you know, at least lengthwise and maybe a lot of the sightings said about 30 feet across 15 feet tall so it would be in that ballpark so you know and it has the orange or amber lights which could be reddish under the right conditions again it's not a slam dunk but it's similar enough to kind of make you wonder are they talking about the similar or same thing here i don't know but i thought it was interesting enough to mention so anyways, that's so that that's all the stuff I sort of had. I mean, I had a couple notes, a couple more notes here, but it's sort of redundant and kind of covers what ETA and Ether have already talked about. Uh, so before we wrap it up here, any final thoughts, anybody? Agent well, Ether? shit. Agent ETA? Well, I mean, uh, I'll give you my opinion of uh, the, the, the total amount of uh, instances and stuff that people had claimed to see or what have you. I think that something happened, and I, I, I think I pretty much my my opinion lines up with with uh, Agent Anderson's pretty well. Uh, something happened. I think it has been sensationalized a little bit. Not maybe not so much of this is true, but I think something definitely happened, and I still find it a very interesting and compelling case. Um, I wasn't all that familiar with it. Like I, I'm pretty sure I had heard of it at one point, but I never, you know, it wasn't one of, one of those things I had looked into. You know what I mean? But I still find it, like I said, very interesting, very compelling, and like uh, it's one of those things. Like I've said before, it like uh, it makes my imagination start to go wild because what if, right? What if like I imagine having the opportunity to go to a place like this where there's ongoing UFO sightings. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think something happened there, and uh, I also am very interested in the uh, you know the, the possibility that maybe there wasn't you know aliens like uh, looking at our, our nuclear capabilities and stuff. Maybe that's why they were there to begin with, and then maybe one of them decided to kind of like branch off and have a little fun. Like, hey, I'm gonna hey guys, I'm gonna go uh, go fuck with these farmers over here. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I find that kind of funny. That could be yeah, that's possible. Maybe I don't know, but. Yeah, like I said, ultimately, I think something happened there. I think there was a sighting. 
but I don't think it was as expansive as it was described. You know, I don't think as much, as many things happened as, as, uh, people think, you know? Right. Well, I'm, I keep, I'm on the fence about this one in some ways. Like for example, in the book, Grant Cameron says that he looked at the QFOS database of sightings and there were over 5,000 entries for Charlie Red Star, but uh-huh. that was not online. You actually have to go to Chicago. I think it's in Chicago. I don't know. It's something like that. I forget. But QFOS doesn't put that online. You actually have to go there in person to do the uh-huh. research, which most of us cannot. So we can't fact check them on that. You know, um, if you uh-huh. live near the QFOS headquarters uh, and you listen to this show, maybe you could pop in there and see if he's <laughs> if he's being uh, you know if he really found that many cases about Charlie Redstar witness sightings. You know, but and like I, I looked at a couple places and I couldn't find. A whole lot specifically to, you know, to that area. I did find a lot of cases, but I didn't find a whole lot specifically to the Manitoba area. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I agree totally a hundred percent. Like I think definitely something happened, but I think it might be, I don't know. I'm, I'm taking this one with a grain of salt. <laughs> what do you think, Agent Ether? I am, I don't know. I'm also torn. You do have some, some footage. You have yeah. some video. That video is really compelling. So yeah. for me, that that's definitely compelling evidence. I mean, anyone can file a report, but you have the Mountie statement as well. Right. And he went out to the same place where uh, Bob was. So it's almost like he's corroborating this eyewitness account too. Yeah. So I might be a little less skeptical than you two. That's, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I just, my thing is just like, I know that it's probably like a broken record at this point for some people, but it was like, if it was such a common sighting, people in Canada, I'm sure had Polaroids or something. Why don't we have more photographs? You know, maybe the photographs are out there and they just haven't been scanned and put online. You know, they're just sitting in attics and shoe boxes somewhere, which kind of makes me want to go over to Manitoba and get some you know, go knocking on doors and be like, hey, do you got photos in your attic? Can I take a look? <laughs> got some old Polaroids, you know? Well, and the, so the interview I listened to, he does say that the media took photos, but there's yeah. some of the photos he describes, you you can't find them. Yeah, they're they're not online. No. But uh, to be fair, they probably wouldn't come out all that well anyways. I did see some testimony, people or witness statements saying that like, you know, they tried to take photos, but they didn't really come out that well. You know, that kind of thing, which is, you know, typical if if you have a camera that's not specifically made for night photography and then you take a night picture, it's not going to look like anything. Usually it's just going to, it's going to be very poor picture. And even if you have a really high quality camera, which there were back then, you know, there, there are definitely cameras that could have caught some, some decent images, but I mean, you'd have to have some damn good timing. And and for a lot of these, uh, some, well, not a lot, but some of, some of the, interactions like you had a, a, a object that was moving at, at great speeds and stuff and i mean good luck catching a good picture of that you know right yeah if it was in its fast mode and not its its stationary slow mode yeah yeah all right well that about wraps it up for this week's episode oh agent ether shout out to our live audience oh yeah Nobody's let's do a shout out to our that. live audience all right who we got here still Anybody still hanging around here? Oh, we still got a couple of people left. We got Diamond, Aussie Meemaw, and Mr. Ponk. Thanks for listening. Aussie Meemaw. Aussie Meemaw, yeah. A couple of legends <laughs> hanging out here listening Get to it us. Get it right. 
And before we get out of here, I'd just like to remind everybody that we do have a Patreon, which will bring you the show ad-free at the first tier. and the second tier, you get bonus content. And at the $10 tier, you get to vote on upcoming topics like this one, which we got voted on from uh, Patreon. So as far as the voting goes, it's going to be, I think, probably at least twice a month, maybe more. But there will be times when we want to do a specific topic. Maybe it's a timely topic like the UFO congressional hearings or the Georgia Guidestones where something happened and we want to talk about it pretty pretty soon after it happens. So it's not going to be every episode, but it's going to be at least twice a month is what we're going to aim for. And at the Mm -hmm. $5 tier, you do get bonus content. You get stuff like... Um, you know, maybe some extra UFO documents or extra topics or, you know, agent ETA and I (laughs) bullshitting about MMA or whatever, you know, we're still, it's still in the early stages. So we're still kind of getting all that stuff refined, but we'll figure it out. And if you have any suggestions, tell us what you want to hear for bonus content and we will do our best to make that happen. And, uh, was there anything else? I don't think there was anything else. So I wanted to do the Patreon. Oh yeah. Also, I'm going to put a link in the description for Grant Cameron's book, And I would take it with a grain of salt. It is a good book. I read some of it. I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing, but I did skim it. And uh, I got it from the library. But it is a good book, and I do recommend it. It's the the resource for Charlie Redstar. But on the other hand, I'm not going to go out and say that it's like necessarily 100% reliable. (laughs) But either way, it'll the link will be in the description if you guys want to check that out. It's you know it's the it's the go to place for this case. So. Yeah, check that out. Links in the description. All right, and I think that's all we have for you this week. Agent Ether, <laughs> what, what would you mind? I was wa- I'm Sorry. waiting for it. I was waiting for something else, I guess. Oh, is there anything else I should no, mention? No, I just, I don't know. I'm used to wrapping up the show differently. Oh, okay. Yeah, how do I wrap it up differently? <laughs> I don't know. Keep it strange. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 